It's time for Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein. And Stephen, it's of course just past the end of the financial year and many of us have made donations, use that as a trigger to make donations to charities. Do we have any, or do you have any idea as to what kind of financial state some of these charities are in? You asked that. We, uh, uh, yesterday I was in the office. We, we had this fundraising thing in the office and um, the firm kind of matches what the staff raise and they brought me in and I had to write sign the cheque and I said, oh, we'll just have a look at this charity. We'll get the accounts up. And it was quite an eye-opener. This, this charity we're giving the money to has got $100 million in, in cash and investments. Now, you need to ask why it needs that much to start with. And I thought, I'll, I'll have a look what the what the 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 chief executive officer gets paid because it doesn't have to be disclosed so it's not disclosed so you have to wonder why some of these charities have got so much money and why they're not disclosing the salaries of the chief executive officer now a hundred million dollar company listed on the asx would have to have to have to disclose all the salaries of the key management personnel and and i think that you know once you're getting up to these quite large charities they're quite large organizations um you know people should be entitled to know where the money they're donating is actually going to and how much is being used to be paid on the, the personnel. I mean, you may be getting good value, you may be not. I mean, unless you know, um, you, you're not in that decision. You might, you might find that one charity is getting paid, the CEO is getting paid a million dollars and another one they're getting paid 250 And, you know, the smaller salary person might be doing a better job. So, you know... I think the large charities need to be brought into line with listed public companies on their reporting requirements and and people who are donating to them need to be able to work out where the money's actually going. That certainly is a good point. Yeah, thanks, In Jane. the meantime, Stephen, what's been happening with commodities? How are we going? Uh, commodities, well, the, the gold price was down 1.6% for the week to $1,607. Um, the, the copper price was, was pretty much steady at $7,717 a tonne. And the crude oil price was, was up 2.6% to $63.38 a barrel. Um, the, the the Australian dollar um, is down and most against most of the currencies during the week. Um, we're down to seventy five point nine three uh, US cents. Uh, US cents. Yep, and we're down to fifty eight point seven three um, Great British pence, and we were down to sixty six point nine six euro cents. So anyone who's planning on travelling overseas. Um, you know, everything's got marginally more expensive. Mm. Um, the oil news index was 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 um, you know down a bit on the week. We're down one point one three five percent to seven thousand seven hundred eighty nine. So we we're still retreating from that magical six thousand mm. um, number, which we all thought we were going to get there a couple of months ago. Uh, in the UK, um, the FTSE index was down point two percent to seven thousand three hundred sixty five, and in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng index was down one point seven percent to twenty five thousand five hundred twenty one. Um, so a few local uh, stocks that local people invest in. Um, BHP was up twenty. It was up three point one three percent to twenty four dollars and twenty two cents. Um, the Commonwealth Bank was down about one percent to eighty three dollars and nineteen. So you know, despite all despite all the talk about you know, you know the doom and gloom from this this minute. Um, tax that's going to be levied on the banks it's not really reflected in their share prices mm. um, uh, NIB NIB continues its uh, strong run, it's up another 1.2% to $5.81 
Um, so anyone who got those in the initial demutualization has, has done very well. I can see you shaking and smiling there, Jane. Um, and Telstra, Telstra slowly recovering. Um, we're up at about 1% to $4.41. Um, still a long way from the $9 it was during the... Mm. Fair while back. Yes. Trying to think how far back. Yeah, um, and the fuel price was down in Newcastle was down down one point nine percent to a dollar seventeen point seven. The unloaded fuel price, and in Sydney it was down one. Uh, was down two percent to a dollar ten, which kind of surprises me a bit. Seeing we've into school holidays, but nevertheless, yes, so that's what we have. Nice little present, perhaps, from the fuel companies for and all, all those. The, all those people. I know a couple of people are heading down the uh, Blue Mountains for yeah. the. Yeah. For the weekend, so they don't think it's cold enough here, so they're going down there to get colder. We want to be, and it's going to get colder on the weekend, I believe, Is or it? perhaps after the weekend. Uh, yeah, next week. And we're taking a look now at the market, updating the market. Stephen Pritchard with Henry Jennings. And Henry, your favourite telco stock, Focus, they're, they're trying to create a, a, a bidding battle for that. They are. They've, uh, they've currently got a, uh, a bid on the table from uh, KKR. Unfortunately, bids on the table these days uh, are not the bids of old. They're always highly conditional, uh, non-binding, uh, back of an envelope, handshake in the pub over a beer kind of deals, and then we want to have a look at your books before we go any further. So um, uh, KKR now have been allowed to have a little squiz at uh, the books of Vocus. Um, but the focus board is hoping, I guess, that they can either talk the price up from the current 350 cents or get somebody else involved, which would uh, get a bidding war going. But uh, we'll wait and see. Certainly plan A, which was to uh, um, you know, turn the performance of the business around under the incumbent management, seems to be uh, not so important as getting the bidding war going. Yeah, I had a look at their balance sheet. There's a humongous amount of goodwill sitting on there, on Vocus's mm. balance sheet. So. Well, as a customer of Vocus, I'm not sure I show much goodwill towards them. Oh, well, fair <laughs> enough. They're supposed to be putting our optic fibre in up here, so we'll see how that goes. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Henry. And, and speaking of private <laughs> equity, uh, some private equity firms have had a look under the under the printing presses down at Fairfax, and they might not like what they see. No, both uh, both parties that were involved in in the in the once or in the famous bidding war for Fairfax seem to have uh, have walked now and left Fairfax back to their original plan, which was to uh, to float off a. Um, the business of Domain, which is their real estate portal, much like Real Estate Group, REA Group. Um, that was the original plan, and it got disrupted by these two bidders appearing. They've walked away. They didn't actually like what they saw on the books. So um, it's left Fairfax kind of uh, looking like damaged goods, I guess. The, the question the market's been asking is, what did they find that was so uh, nasty and caused them to walk away? So housing is uh, you know, slowing down, as we know. We've seen uh, REA Group actually... Um, uh, right off uh, 180 million bucks in their Asian business uh, a week or so ago, uh, and the stock price continues to slip a little bit after those uh, that write-off. So maybe all is not well in that um, in that sector. You don't think they might be just doing this to come back with a lower offer a bit later? Um, I would. It might be that. Yeah, I mean, it, it is possible, but it's unusual, I guess, for both of them to walk away um, and set their sights elsewhere. So obviously there's something that bothers them. Maybe they will wait until the domain business is uh, floated off 
um, and Fairfax were talking about holding uh, you know, 70% of the shares uh, themselves, um, and it would give the Fairfax Group a bigger valuation, they hope. Um, and maybe then they will come back and just try and take the bit they want, which is the domain business rather than all the print businesses. But uh, we'll wait and see what happens. And then Coca-Cola came out with this great new, um, supposedly, uh, <laughs> no-sugar Coke that tastes the same as the classic Coke. But, but Woolworths has turned around and said, well, we're not putting it on our shelves. We haven't got any room, and it's all too confusing with all the other products. Yeah, Coke's not actually having a very good, day to day. It's probably having the, the sort of the equivalent of a bad hair day for corporates. Not only has Woolworths said that they won't stock the new product, which is their biggest launch of a new thing in, in 10 years, but also Domino's Pizza, the, the stock that I love to hate, um, has announced that it's no longer going to be going with Coke as its preferred supplier for soft drinks, but it's going to go with Pepsi. Um, this would counted for around, I think it was around a, a million uh, cartons of uh, soft drink a year, or 0.3 of a percent of the um, of the revenue for um, for Coke in Australia. So it's not a huge thing, but I guess it's just a sign of the times. One that Domino's is um, looking for cheaper alternatives to Coke because Pepsi is a cheaper product, um, but also that uh, maybe uh, Coke is feeling those competitive pressures in its um, core market, which is obviously the, uh, the Coca-Cola product as opposed to other lines that it now has. Yeah, so Domino's isn't going to sell Coke at all? No. Well, not, mm. not, not the drinking type anyway. Yes, we won't discuss any other types. I didn't know they. I didn't know they actually delivered fuel for the fire. But anyhow, I'll give them a call next time. Uh, and flight centre, flight centres uh, lifted their profit outlook, which kind of surprises me. But anyhow, uh, Henry. I yeah, I got cut off in my prime. Obviously, I was uh, rambling too much, and the red gong happened. Oh, I doubt that. We we haven't got one of those. And, and so, flight centres um, lifted their profit outlook. Um, they did lift their profit outlook, but they lifted it to a downgrade, if you kind of get what I mean. They recently downgraded the profit, um, and then they've now upgraded it to the higher end of that downgrade. So it's an upgrade to a downgrade. The stock had a really good run yesterday. It was up uh, around 10%, suffering a little bit today, as uh, a lot of brokers have suggested that maybe it's time to take profits. But um, you know, there's a big short position in Flight Center, which is where people sell shares that they don't own, hoping that they will be able to buy them back cheaper. Um, and as a result, I think a lot of people scrambled for cover yesterday when they saw the words upgrade. Um, but in reality, it's an upgrade to a downgrade. But still, it's a positive move, I guess, for Flight Centre, and it shows that the, uh, the discounting of airfares um, may have finished. And also, the U.S. business is going pretty well. They're going gangbusters in the U.S. Uh, it may be that everyone's leaving the U.S. on, on account of uh, our friend in the White House. Well, they might be flying into the U.S. Well, they might be flying, but the, yeah, it's more the uh, the U.S. flight centre business itself. Yeah. Um, so it's more outbound, I guess. Yeah. And so the ACCC's now decided to uh, have a look at what's happening at Avio. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting that when it gets in the media, the regulators decide to have a look. Well, I guess, you know, the, the, the regulators... Um, are alerted to these practices by by the fourth estate, I and mean, that's why it's I guess important to have a, a decent media sector rather than just a cut and paste from uh, from overseas news agencies. So um, it was a great piece that the ABC and Fairfax did on uh, AVO um, with the retirement centres. So yeah, the ACCC is now having a little look at it, which I guess is um, which. 
which is a good sign, and maybe we'll get some changes in the sector on the back of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that show was absolutely shocking, if that's really what's going on. Yeah, yeah, no, I had my um, my father-in-law was very quick to check uh, the uh, the small print in his, uh, his contract up on the, the Central Coast. Oh, okay. Um, and Magellan Financial Group, which is which has kind of been a success story um, in funds management since about two thousand and nine, um, is planning to launch a new listed investment company, which will be the largest capital raising to date. Yeah, there was reports in the papers that Magellan, which has been, a, as you say, a massively successful um, fund manager that, that emerged, uh, I, I guess, about a decade ago, and has done exceptionally well. They're, they're very good in international and and uh, overseas markets, and they are looking to um, float a $1 billion, that sounds a bit Dr. Evil-like, doesn't it, a billion-dollar uh, listed investment company on the exchange. Now, the beauty for, for Magellan is they get all those lovely fees uh, from that fund, and I guess it doesn't take an awful lot more work to add a naught to a few orders uh, to replicate some of their existing funds. So it may be that it's a, it's a really good move for them if they can get it away. LICs have been quite popular. Um, Wilson Asset Management has done a, a few, um, and they're a very good sort of conduit for uh, people that want to invest their hard-earned dollars in, in global markets and don't want to go through the rigmarole of picking you know, the stocks themselves and, and, and want a successful fund managers to do it. So it's probably a good move from Magellan. I suspect a, a billion is is probably a bridge too far, um, given the uh, given some of the, the pressures on the industry at the moment. But uh, if they can get it away, and they're talking about later in the year, it would be a, a massive sort of feather in their cap, I guess. Yes, it would be, and, and, and increase the funds under management, of course, the profit for the Magellan Financial Group, one would assume. Yeah, I mean, one of the, uh, the the tricks of the trade, if you like, at the moment is to is to raise, say, $500 million for an LIC, but have a free option. Um, and in a year's time, when that free option uh, comes up for uh, expiry, all the people that uh, have got the free option tend to exercise. So the $500 million, uh capitalization fund goes to uh, a billion as it doubles. As long as they can keep the share price above the option price, um, they sort of double the size of their fund without actually having to do anything. So that may be a way that Magellan do go with this one. Wilson Asset Management has used that a number of times. Mm, interesting. And then Malfa, Malfa acquired, Malfa's acquired a, a 5.5% stake in Ardent Leisure. So we've got them, we've now got Ariadne. Uh, mm. Something's going to happen there, I suspect. Well, there's been talk, obviously, about um, the change in Ardent. Obviously, they had the uh, the Dreamworld tragedy, um, and there has been some uh, some talk in the media that maybe uh, they would get together with other theme park operators in Queensland and consolidate uh, up there. Village Roadshow has got uh, uh, theme parks up there as well. Um, in which case, it may be that Mulfer's looking at it from a property play. They've got some uh, massive uh, real estate holdings up there, which uh, may or may not be able to be kind of liberated and developed. Uh, for housing and uh, etc. If uh, if there were some big changes, but certainly with Ariadne and now Malfa on the share register, you would imagine that something is going to happen. They're in a state of transition at the moment. They've got a new CEO, and um, you know they're recovering from Dreamworld, and they're still having some issues with their U.S. bowling alley business, which isn't going quite as well as they would like, and certainly quite as well as the market would like. So it's not a bad time to be agitating for change, and maybe we'll see some some real corporate action in this one. And then 
Fortescue is saying they're going to exceed their, or may even exceed their export guidance on their, their iron ore business. Yeah, um, Fortescue has, uh, has been riding high, I guess, on the back of the, uh, the iron ore prices, has BHP and Rio. And they, they talked a week or so ago, I think we talked about this, how they were even looking to get the cost of production down below 12 to 13 bucks US. And bearing in mind that iron ore is currently around sort of 62, $63 um, US, um, that's a pretty good result in terms of profit margin. So they've been paying back debt, they've been doing all the right things, and, uh, you know, the story's good. These guys are throwing off a lot of cash, and you've only got to look at the trade figures that came out today with exports up uh, 9%. Coal exports were up 62% in May. So um, you can see that resources has really emerged as a big driver again, especially for those Western Australian and Queensland economies. So uh, good, good news for uh, Australian exporters and good news for the resource stocks and Fortescue in particular. And so we're in the new year, Henry. So what, what's your, your top pick for the new year? That's a tricky one. I, yeah, it's going to be an interesting year, I think. I've, I just bought a, a small oil company for myself, um, which, has got, which has got a big uh, drilling program planned in California with a massive, massive target. It's a stock called Sagasco, but it's a very speculative stock. Um, it's also uh, interesting to see stocks like Linus and Galaxy and Aurocobre um, involved in uh, rare earths and lithium. That seems to be uh, gathering some attention again. We had a, an update from uh, one company, one small company on the rare earths market. So I think there's some potential again for those uh, lithium, graphite, and, uh, and maybe even the rare earth stocks. And we're, we're, we're heading towards more electric vehicles. Volvo's not even going to make uh, petrol engines in by, uh, after 2019. So um, electric cars are going to be the way of the future. Uh, which has implications for OPEC, but it certainly has implications for our rare earth, graphite, and uh, and lithium companies here. So we might see some good action there. So um, yeah, a few a few small speculative ones. Do your own research, etc. And um, don't come and pay, you know, don't come and uh, hound me if it all goes horribly wrong. But certainly that that's one that I bought yesterday for myself. And if you want to do get and if you want to get some research, where can you get that from, Henry? Ah, uh, the good stuff. Yeah, um, the really good the, the, quality the more, research. The more blue chip. Uh, stuff, or you can get that at marcustoday.com.au. Sign up for a, a two-week free trial, and uh, yeah, it's um, you can uh, read all our stuff there every day. We, we produce a lot of uh, great content every day. Okay, Henry, we'll be back next week to hear more more great content. Thanks, Stephen. It's time to plan for the new year. Here we are, the first Thursday in the new financial year, Stephen Pritchard. And where should we start if we're thinking about what's coming up this year? Well, we've got Christmas coming up soon. <laughs> it's not soon. Well, I was I was over at Domain at the weekend, and they've got some Christmas trees up. Oh, well, must be soon. <laughs> I think they must be a Christmas in July thing. Surely they couldn't be advertising for Christmas already, could they? And they'd like Christmas in July, yes. Yes. Anyhow, they've got two Christmas trees up at Domain at, at Katara. If anyone's missed a Christmas tree, okay. Um, okay. So yeah. So we need to we need to stop. Right. One of the good things you need to think about planning is I always find that if you start to write things down, you kind of become a bit more committed than just thinking about it. So I think you need to think about what you'd like to achieve with your finances for the next year and write, 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 write them down to, to, to see how you can get there. And one of the things you can start with is you work out how much you're actually spending. I mean, 
this can this can come as a bit of a shock to some people if they record all their expenses for a month um, and then and see where their money goes. As people claim they've got no money, but but a lot of the times it's you know just gets frittered away on this and that, and then it comes to the end of the week that the, you know. So you've got to include everything. Like you've got to include everything. Ice cream down the street. Ice cream the, down the street. Yeah. Well, ice creams are five and six dollars now, aren't they? Yeah, they mount up, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they have a couple. Have a couple every day. <laughs> It's probably not a good choice at this time of the year, um, but yeah. So, so you need to you need to you know first step record where you're spending your money to start with, and and come up with some goals of the things you want to want want to do, and then and then you need to have a look at once you once you re once you recorded where you're spending your money, you need to divide it into two things. And what you find that is most people have two distinct lots of money they're spending on. One's are the things they need, and one's are the things they want. So the things you need is basically uh, your, basic needs, your basic needs, your electricity, your, your gas, and your you know your rent or your mortgage payments and your food. food. Mm. That's right. But but then there's also wants. I mean, like you know, do you actually want to, to you know, wants the things that you want but you don't necessarily need. I mean, do you actually need to have two cappuccinos a day, or do you do you do you want two cappuccinos? And I, I think you probably don't need to. So once again, you know, you, you divide 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 up after you've worked out where you're spending money into what you need to spend and what you want to spend or what you choose to spend. Um, so then from that you can then go to look at building a budget now this is the interesting bit i think once you and invariably what i see is that there's is someone will come in and, and we'll give them one of our financial needs analysis and and and, and, and you know we send them away and they come back on the budget and they've done this budget and invariably there's this big surplus and then we say to where, where is it gone and most people don't know they really don't. They'll come up with, they'll drag out their electricity bill, they can drag out their water rates, their council rates, their rental, their mortgages and, and whatever and, and, you know, estimate their clothing and estimate their food and there's still a surplus. But have they got any money in the bank at the end of the year? So where has it gone? It's my, the ice my, creams. <laughs> but most people don't really know. Yeah. Uh, my, most people don't really know. So the only way you know is if you actually write down everything yeah, as you're track, actually track spending. Track your spending, mm. um, do it for a month and see where the money's actually spending. And, and and the other thing which we've mentioned before is is small 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 changes can generate reasonable amounts of money. You know, we've got our cappuccino savings plan, which we mentioned before. If you you cut out one cappuccino, I they're up to four fifty now. So we're even getting more. So if you cut out your, your cappuccino a day, if you have two cappuccinos a day, cut it back to one. At the end of the year, you'll have to put that money aside. Don't spend it somewhere else. At the end of the year, you'll have a thousand dollars. So 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 small changes can 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 get you a big result. Um, and the other thing I always talk about is we've got this surplus at the end of the year, which we don't know where it's gone. Try reversing the way you spend things. You've done this budget. You know at the end of the year, if you stick to your budget, you should have $5,000 in the bank or $10,000 in the bank. Take When you get paid, go and talk to your, the person who does your payroll and set up a separate account at the, at the local credit union or somewhere, somewhere that preferably a passbook account if there's still a few of those around, which are more difficult to take money out of. Um, and get your payroll person to put your hundred dollars a week or your two hundred dollars a week or whatever you think your surplus is at the end of the year into this other account, and then just live on 
live on live on what you've got left. Because one of the problems I think is that 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 money's these days is, is far too easy to access. Everyone gets paid, or ninety percent of the people get paid with money and just going into their into their into their bank account, and then they just you know go along to the shop and use Easy Pay or go down to the automatic teller machine and 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 just draw it out. And, and you don't seem to take as much notice of how much you're spending it's all far more abstract than if you if you actually had to like you had to do in the old days go along to the bank and get a handful of notes out and yes you don't, yeah you and don't. direct debit of course has the same effect you oh, don't really debit. notice yeah, yeah. i mean i've saying. seen that long lots of times in the accounting business there's people who sign up for direct debits and, and you know after a while they don't know what they're coming about and they never go back and check so really, that you should go back and check your direct. Yeah, debits. you should check mm. your direct debits and, and make sure. Um, um, and, and people will change things. They'll sign up for something else, but not cancel the original one. And so they're paying for two things. Mm. So yeah, you need to keep eye. On, you need to keep an eye on your bank statements. What's actually coming out, and particularly these days with with all the fraudulent activities, um, you need to watch your bank statements. And I think personally think that's one of the things that people lose when they go to electronic bank statements online. Um, you know, if the bank statement was posted out each month, you know you've got it there to look at it. But if it's gone online, you've actually got to remember to go online and have a look at it. So you need to periodically check your bank statements. And I always collect the FPOS vouchers and check them off because you'd be surprised how many times there's errors. That's okay. That's a fact, is it? That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yes, keep all your, get keep your dockets. Keep all your vouchers. <laughs> and then, of course, you need to check on um, your investments. Now's a good time. You know, you start of the new year, review your investment portfolio or decide to start an investment portfolio. Yeah. Um, consider sorting out your superannuation. There's still a lot of unclaimed super that the Australian Taxation Office is, is holding. Um uh, you can use MyGov website to locate your unclaimed super. If you, and this particularly occurs when when people have have had a few jobs, and particularly in casual employees, that they, they'll go from one one job to another, and each one will open a separate superannuation account for them and pay this money in. So you end up with this whole accumulation of you know it's not unusual for people to have five to ten superannuation accounts and that's all costing you money because you're paying five to ten lots of fees where you should only be paying one so and, and also think about think about topping up your superannuation contributions yes um and, and it's a lot easier if you want to put an extra thousand uh, dollars in a year or two thousand dollars in a year it's a lot easier to pay that each week than than find it just before the 30th of june and mm. of course you can also look at um, paying off your credit cards. Ah. Yeah, I mean, so if you look at the, the time that you uh, take to pay off your credit cards, if you make the minimum payment, some of them are up to 30 years. Really? Mm. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're paying, you know, 3% uh, uh, off, your, off your credit card and the credit card company is charging you 2% interest a month, um, you're only making headway at one percent, so you're looking at twenty to thirty years to pay off that pair of shoes you've just bought down at the at the shoe shop. They'll be replaced well and truly before yeah. then, <laughs> and you're still paying them off. So you know, try and pay your credit card off each month. If you can't do that, try and pay it off as quick as you can. You don't want to be paying twenty years' time for a pair of shoes you've bought.
Tips for the new year, new financial year that is, and that's Thursday Finance for today. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.